Take your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Jonah today. Jonah chapter 3. Just a couple of pages past Daniel. If you want to start there, help you as a reference. But Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse number 10, or verse number 5, and we're going to read down to verse number 10. Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse number 5, reading down to verse number 10. If you'll read the even verses, we'll read responsively, and we'll pause at any punctuation marks. Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse number 5, reading down to verse number 10. All right, let's begin. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from his fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, just for the church that we are at today, Lord, the pews, the chairs that we sit in, Lord. Thank you so much for junior church going on and nursery and all the different aspects of the ministry here, Lord. It's your ministry. It's your church. I ask you help us, Lord, as we go to the, the very sacred time now of your word being opened and preached. I ask you help us, Lord, to listen. Help our hearts to be open to receive what you would like for us to, to take hold of. And, Lord, we want, as, as you say in Psalms, Lord, we want you to be magnified today. And would you do so? We ask that you bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There is a way for sin to be forgiven. There is a way prepared for you and me. There is a way that leads a soul to heaven. That way is Christ, the sinner's perfect plea. Look unto Him, whose power can cleanse and save your soul. Look unto Him, whose blood can set you free. Look unto Him, whose sacrifice can make you whole. Then you will know the love of Calvary. There is a love that passes human measure. There is a love that's brighter than the day. There is a love that's richer than all treasure. The love of Christ excels in every way. There is 
a place that Jesus is preparing. There is a place where sin will be no more. There is a place of promise we'll be sharing. That place is heaven, eternity's fair shore. Look unto Him, whose power can cleanse and save your soul. Look unto Him, whose blood can set you free. Look unto Him, whose sacrifice can make you whole. Then you will know the love of Calvary. That's my favorite singer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least I get to eat lunch. Uh, we all have that have been in church any time at all know a little of the story of Jonah. We know that Jonah was a backslidden preacher. God told him to go to a place called Nineveh to preach, and he said, God, I'm not going there. Matter of fact, he got so angry with God, he went down and got on a ship and went the opposite direction. And while he was on the ship, the storms came up and it was so bad that they thought they were all going to die. They cast lots. It fell on Jonah. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm supposed to be back in Nineveh preaching, but God uh, is mad at me. He said, just throw me overboard and the storm will stop. They tried not to, but it got so bad that these seafaring people took Jonah. What was that? Oh, man, devil's mad already. Hang on, he's going to throw the rest of them off in a second. But uh, they throw him overboard, and about the time he hit the water, the Bible says that God had prepared a whale. And that whale opened his mouth and swallowed up Jonah whole. And the Bible says that the storm ceased, at least on top of the water. After three days and three nights in the whale belly motel, Jonah said, okay, God, I'm still alive. I've had enough. If you'll let me out of here, I'll go. And that whale swam up to the shore and barfed Jonah I'm sorry, vomited Jonah out. Uh, the Bible says that he was a three days journey from Nineveh and he made it in one day. You say, why is that? Would you want to spend another three days in the whale belly? Not me. Jonah preaches and the Bible says that the entire city of Nineveh got saved. And God spared Nineveh. Now, I am going to use a statement here. It was the greatest citywide revival in world history. There's never been before or since more people saved at one time in one meeting anywhere in the world than here in Nineveh. It was a city probably over a million people. Say, preacher, how do you know that? Go to chapter 4, verse number 11. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, 
wherein are more than six score thousand. Now, those of you that don't understand counting, six score thousand is 120,000. Okay? That's a lot of people, right? Now watch this. Six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left. That's in reference to children not able to tell the difference between right and left. Probably in anywhere under the age of five. That's why three and four year olds put their shoes on the wrong feet. <laughs> then they grow up and don't pull their pants up. I mean, uh, but... Uh, Probably it was a city of at least 120,000 children under the age of five. Well, a city that has 120,000 children under the age of five is a city of at least one million people. Can you imagine nearly a, a million or more people getting saved in one revival meeting? Matter of fact, here's... Where the, it wasn't just a little city. It wasn't like going downtown Kearneysville or downtown Ranson or Charlestown and preaching and having all the, though that would be a wonderful thing for all the Charlestown to get saved. <laughs> but we're talking about, no, that Shepherdstown's Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to rain hellfire on that. Anyway, uh, but you're talking about a city that has a population of the entire state of West Virginia. 1.1 million people in the whole state. Imagine a revival taking place at our church to where the entire state of West Virginia got saved. In one meeting. That's what takes place in Nineveh. Now. Jonah preaches, and they all got saved. But I want you to open your Bible Jonah, uh, in uh, Jonah chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. But it, what's the next word? Displeased. Displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. All these people got saved. Brother Jim, after over a million people getting saved, Jonah was angry. He was upset. I'm going to make a statement here. Everybody look at me. Do you realize Jonah preached a revival as a backslidden preacher, was angry at God that over a million people got saved, and he was the only one in the city not right with God. And yet revival cut loose. <laughs> Here's the truth. Revival is not about the preacher. It is about the message. Amen. Revival is not about the man of God it is about the person of God. Revival is not based on some charismatic preacher who gets up and tells nice stories and moves people. It is about the truth of the word of God changing hearts, lives, and eternities. Amen. You see, it's all about people receiving the truth. 
Revival is not about the man of God. Revival is about you looking in the mirror. Jonah was exceedingly displeased at what God did with this revival. But revival came because they did not want to die. They were so fearful that the king said, look, everybody go. We're proclaiming a fast. Stall your animals. Don't feed them. Don't give them water. Don't you eat. Don't you drink. And you beg God to spare our city. You beg God to spare our lives and maybe God will keep us alive. Jonah comes and preaches and he wasn't happy about it. That sure puts a whole spin on, well, your motive is everything to God. Jonah's motive wasn't real good. He didn't want to get barfed up and swallowed by a whale. Guess God's motives are pretty far down on the list of acceptability, huh? I believe it to be a truth to say that Jonah didn't even want revival. Did he not go the opposite way? Did he not run from the presence of God? Did he not tell the people on the boat, I'm backslidden, God wants me to go somewhere, but I don't want to go? And then when he got there and preached the truth, people got saved. He was displeased and angry with God. I kind of believe Jonah was probably the worst person in the city of Nineveh after the revival. Biblical revival starts with one person. You. You. Revival is a very personal thing. Uh, Listen to me very carefully here. Revival begins with one person. It does not begin with a group. Can I tell you who led the revival of the city of Nineveh? The king. He's the one that told everybody... You better get right with God or we're in trouble. He put off his robes. He put down his wonderful things. And said, oh God, I need you. Spare our city. You see, it starts with one person. God does not move crowds. He moves individuals. God does not work by... Dealing with the masses, he deals with individuals. Everybody doing okay? But after you get yourself revived and right with the Lord, others will follow. I am thoroughly convinced if we could get men of God off their blessed do-nothing, get back to proclaiming the word of God, we'd start seeing churches grow, not close. I really believe if Christians would get right with God and they would get themselves right with the Lord and they would turn from their wicked ways, then we would see God do something in America. Don't you blame Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and Joe Manchin and the rest of the clan. How about you blame yourself? 
Everybody doing okay? You see, God is not going to move a crowd. He will move an individual. And the greatest thing that we can work on is individually being what God wants. And as we change, other individuals will follow with us. I'm going to talk today about revival is on you. Revival is on you. Please don't get mad at me for saying this, but if you don't have revival in your life, that's not this preacher's fault. It's not. (laughs) I try not to live backslidden. I'm not running from God. I'm not going to get swallowed by a whale. When we lived in South Carolina, we lived close to the ocean. I took my little boy out to the, near the ocean one day, showed him, and he said, Daddy, is that where the whale lives? I said, yes, it is. <laughs> it was my son, Josh. <laughs> he got bad one day. I got so mad at him. I said, son, I said, let's go. I'm going to take you down to the ocean, and you've disobeyed so much. You're just as bad as Jonah. I'm going to ask God for that. That whale come up. He said, Daddy, don't do that. And he starts scream and cry. (laughs) Oh, my soul. I said, I finally found something to motivate this boy. (laughs) He... Couple couple days later, he was doing. I said, I started to get up. He said, Daddy, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go talk to God about that. Well, he said, Daddy, I'm, I'll, I'll obey. I'll obey. <laughs> Man, for about two years that worked. It didn't work very long, but it worked long enough. Amen. It's <laughs> preacher, you're cruel. It worked. I was using the Bible. Amen. <laughs> Every time I think of that, that's what I think of. I'm sorry. To this day, my son does not like getting in the ocean. He's afraid of sharks, not whales, but he doesn't want to get in. Now, revival is on you, not me. You can't blame any preacher for your backslidden condition. I meet people all the time who have been hurt by church, hurt by religion, hurt by by some quote-unquote spiritual person, but you living in hurt is your fault. I hate to tell you that. You're living looking in the rearview mirror. Do you know I got hurt as a child? My brother convinced me to put my hand under the gas hot water tank to grab a ball. He said, yeah, it won't hurt you. Yeah, right. I still have a scar in the back of my hand from that. Yeah. Guess what? I could sit there and 50 years later, well, my hand hurts because my brother made me do that. No, I was the dummy that did it. I didn't do it the second time. I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't the smartest kid in the class, but I, I didn't do the same mistake twice. Now, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> We have to understand we can sit there and complain about the hurt of the past or we can heal and go forward. We can't take the past boo-boos away, but you don't have to live with the boo-boo the rest of your life. Amen. Say, but it's scarred. A scar doesn't hurt that bad. Right. You're going to let one little scar stop you from living life? Not me. I got lots of them. Don't you better pray I never lose all my hair. You'll, you'll call me Pastor Frankenstein. I got so many scars on the top of my head. 
it, it, it'd be ugly. Yeah, the rest of the head would be ugly. It'd, be, it'd look like Scott. Uh, so, number one, what is revival? What is revival? The word revival means to bring back to life. To bring back to life. <laughs> I stand before you as your pastor saying, it's time to get back to spiritual life. We are living dead in our sins, in our trespasses. Christianity today needs life support because we're living to please the flesh and not living in the spirit. There's people today that would rather go to the air show than go to the house of God. Don't get mad at me. We'd rather go to the fair than go to church. Everybody doing okay? We'd rather go to a ball game than go to church. <laughs> say, what do we need? We need revival. I didn't say there was anything sinful necessarily about the fair or the air show or a ball game. But when it comes between you and obeying God, it's wrong if you go do that and not obey God. I understand there are people that have to work on Sundays. But if you choose to work on Sundays instead of being forced to, and you put money before God, guess what? It's just as wrong. Amen. Right. Don't criticize somebody because they have to work on a Sunday. Right. Notice what I said. There's a difference. But just because you can't control your spending and now you have to, because you keep spending and spending and spending and spending, and it's keeping you out of church, guess what? Your spending has become a false god, and you need to get revived. Amen. Boy, that's good stuff. Amen, preacher. <laughs> Revival is needed because we allow the flesh and sin to have dominance in our life, not the spirit. Well, preacher, it's my only day off. I want to sleep in. I want to do this. I want to do that. Hey, what about we obey God? When you got saved, by the way, revival is for saved people, not lost. Amen. Just like at salvation, God said that ye must be born again. Amen. Why? Because the spirit is dead in its sins and trespasses. And it needs to be revived, brought back to life by the spirit of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Amen. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Why? Because we are dead spiritually. That's why this old lost world doesn't understand what's going on inside these four walls today. They say, let's go out and party and get drunk and let's go get high and let's go live in our vomit and the destruction and the nastiness of the world and let's live it up. No, they're dying it out. That's right. You come in here, this is real life. Amen. <laughs> Folks, we're more alive here than they are in the bar. And just like at salvation, you get born again, we're supposed to have a uh, a, a, a continual conscious life in the spirit. Galatians chapter 2. Hang on. 
Let me read it to you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I was dead, but through Christ, I live. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's another verse in the book of Galatians that says that after we're saved, why turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Churches are full of Christians who are in bondage to sin and their flesh and are in need of a spiritual revival. Don't get angry with me. I don't, I don't go to your house. I don't have cameras hidden there. I don't have bugs in your home to find out. And I'm not reading your journal. Amen, Miss Paula. Where are you at? There she is. But you're not going to suck on a cigarette and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I challenge you. Before you smoke your cigarette or before you buy it, say, Lord, I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit. I'm about to go purchase cigarettes so that I can burn them and smoke them and please you. Do you think that's going to work? But we're more addicted to the cigarette than we are to the Holy Spirit of God. And you need a revival. Or a bottle of alcohol. I'm going to throw this in the same list of sins. Even our overspending to where we have to work more than we are spiritual. Amen. Preacher, I'm just so busy. I can't go to church. Then you're too busy. Well, I've got to pay the bills. Quit spending. Amen. It's real simple. Now, again, some of you can't control your work schedule. I get that. I'm not preaching at you. Everybody understand that? I, I, I respect my dad. My whole life just about worked on Sundays, but he worked afternoon shift, and he went to what services he could go to. I get it. I went through Bible college and worked four years of Bible colleges and never went to a Wednesday night Bible study because I was working full time. Everybody doing Okay. But I was taking full-time classes at college. I was taking 18 to 21 hours of class and working full-time. And I had to miss Wednesday night church. By the way, the, the pastor that was that church, eventually I worked for, he said, don't you criticize these preachers that have to go work on Wednesday nights because they're paying their school bill. That's what it, what it takes. Amen. And he was right. And we were too poor to spend because we didn't have anything to spend. I was so far in debt, I could hardly pay attention. You see, just because a baby is born doesn't mean it's going to survive on its own. Too many Christians get saved and then they don't feed themselves and they won't come to where the food is and they won't allow God to feed them and they begin to die spiritually. By the way, I've said this for a long time. The problem in America today is not the White House, it's a church house. 
We got a bunch of sissy britches preachers getting up there. They got lace on their underwear afraid to tell you the truth. We've quit preaching the Bible and started preaching personalities. We've quit preaching the Bible and started preaching, uh, well, let's just get along with everybody. Let's accept everybody. It's a good God, good devil, good day. Gag. That makes God want to vomit. God said that's lukewarm. That's kind of like drinking cold coffee. Make anybody want to spew. Amen. <laughs> coffee was not intended to be cold. You don't put cold water through coffee grounds and get coffee. God made it to be hot, not cold. Amen. And when you put all that stuff in it, it doesn't become coffee. It becomes hot chocolate. Don't fool with the holy bean. And don't clean my coffee cup. Mrs. Barnes knows you touch my coffee cup, you may lose your job. Say, preacher, that's gross. Then you don't know how to drink coffee. You can put hot water in my coffee cup and it'll turn brown, I promise you. I've had that same coffee cup for three years. It's never been washed and don't you touch it. Say, preacher, the hot water cleanses it. It's fine. It just puts another layer on it. It's called, it's called conditioned. And don't you wash a coffee pot either, amen? Thank God for Keurig. Because otherwise, my, my wife won't drink coffee if I make it in a coffee pot. Because I never clean the stuff. Say, preacher, that's, you're not supposed to clean it. Yeah, you get that scummy, soapy stuff on. That's nasty in a coffee. Don't mess with the holy bean. Can I tell you something? Just because you were born again spiritually, if you never eat, you're going to die. My job as pastor of this church is for those of you baby Christians, just like my daughter who is nursing my grandson, she eats food and she converts it to milk so that the child can eat what she just ate. My job is to convert my relationship and the word of God with him, give it to you, make it palatable, and make it swallowable for you. But I've got people here, you can eat bread. Don't have enough teeth to eat meat, but you can eat the bread. So I give those milk and give bread to some. There's others. You got all your chompers, you can chew on it. And I give you a little bit of meat to go with it. But can I tell you something? My job is to feed everybody. Well, preacher, sometimes you repeat yourself. You forget it anyway. That's why I repeat it for you. <laughs> Repetition is the key to learning. Some of you just keep repeating yourself. Now, wait a minute. We have so many new people, I do have to keep repeating things. That's not all bad. You see, spiritually, people don't eat. You don't read your Bible on your own. You don't study on your own. You don't come to church like you should. And you wonder why you're not as spiritual as you should be. We Christians get so fleshly, we can't see how unspiritual we really are. I love you. This one's going to hurt. Well, preacher, I'm sincere. My motive is right. You can be sincerely wrong too. 
When your little child looks at you and says, but mommy, I don't want to eat vegetables. I want to eat cake and pie. They're sincere. But they're sincerely wrong. Everybody understand that? Now, wait a minute. But, but, but they're, so, they're so sweet and so sincere. Yeah, they're so sweet and so sincere. But you're still supposed to give them the vegetables over the other. But they don't like it. I never had an option. Liking wasn't part of the options. It really wasn't. You either choked it down or you got a beating and choked it down. But either way, you were going to choke it down. But preacher, I'm, I, I'm sincere. I'm doing it the best way I know how. I don't care how you know. What does God say? We think our tradition and our heritage is enough. I'm going to say something here. That's Catholic. Well, I go to church, preacher. That means I'm spiritual. You can sit in your garage. That doesn't make you a car. (laughs) Say, preacher, that's ridiculous. What's the difference? Just because you go to the zoo, in some cases you are the animal, but uh, (laughs) just because you go to a zoo doesn't mean that you're going to sit in the enclosure and be an animal there. Everybody doing okay? Just like they can't go to the public school and put ears on and call themselves a dog or a cat. They're still a person. You see, we think because, well... My, my parents and my grandparents and my grandparents' parents were, were all Christians, so I'm a Christian by heritage. You don't inherit Christianity, you live it. When we are dead spiritually, we begin acting in the flesh. And we are so carnal that we convince ourselves that we're spiritual when we're not. If I took a poll and had you barometer or measure your own spirituality and I handed it to God, what would he think? <laughs> can I help you with something? I can tell you when a preacher isn't right with God when they say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look what God's doing in me. Everywhere, Brother Scott, I find somebody in that book that got close to God. The closer to God they got, they said, woe is me. I'm unclean. Woe is me. I'm undone. You see, the closer to God you get, the more you see yourself as the sinner that you are. It's not about look at me. It's about look at he. You see, some of you have been saved a while and you're growing and it's almost like you feel like the, the more you come to church and the more spiritual you get, the worse you feel about yourself. That's a good sign. You're going the right direction. See, if I compare myself with Brother Cross or, well, not him, Brother Steve, <laughs> I might say I'm a better, better person than Brother Steve. I might say I'm a better person than Sam. But when you compare yourself to the holy God, the creator of the universe, the almighty God, guess what? You fall way short. Yes, sir. 
It's easier to compare yourselves among yourselves. But all dirt is still dirt. Brother Aaron, you're a bigger pile of dirt than me. But we're still dirt. (laughs) Brother Arnold, your dirt's a little darker than my dirt. But we're both still dirt. Uh, I'd say somebody's got smarter dirt than mine, but dirt's not real intelligent. Because dirt's still dirt. (laughs) Brother Jim, your dirt's a little older than my dirt. (laughs) But it's still dirt, amen? Can I tell you something? Why do we want to compare dirt with dirt? It's still just dirt. And yet we think our pile of dirt's a whole lot better than somebody else's pile of dirt. How about you compare your pile of dirt to God? And when you get off your face from looking at others and start looking at God, you're going to look at yourself and say, Ooh, I got a problem here. Galatians chapter 5. You need not turn there, but let me read some verses to you. But if ye bite and devour one another, Take heed and be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you're backbiting and snarky and uh, arguing and, and going against each other, he said, walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not forced to do things. Now watch this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. They're made known. How are the works of the flesh made known? Which are these. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And look how much of your entertainment, how much of your life is wrapped up in the works of the flesh. How can you be spiritual when we're wrapped up in our flesh? I'd rather have hundred, a couple hundred dollars than go to church. I'd rather have a new toy than obey God. I'd rather live in sin than give it up and be truly spiritual. Hmm. When we see that these things happen... It's because of our flesh. But we tell ourselves that we're spiritual. Say, well then, that means I can't go to church. Oh, no, church is a hospital. This is where you find out what you need. So, what is revival? It means to bring back to life. God says you're supposed to crucify your flesh, but bring back to your life your spirit. 
That's this, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, watch this, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. When the king of Nineveh said, put away everything, don't eat, don't drink, don't do anything. Just beg God and tell him you'll change anything you need to change to save your life, my life, and our city, and our country. Then God came through. Let me ask you a question. Revival's an individual thing. What is God talking to you about right now? Not me. What's God saying to you? Number two, revival is in a truth or a message, not a person. I hate to tell you something. You're not going to have revival because of this pastor. You're going to have revival because you get right with God yourself. The people of Nineveh had revival because of a truth, not because Jonah was their pastor. How would you like to have Jonah for your pastor? Everybody doing okay? Some of you came from churches that had Jonas for... I mean, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say this. Did you know that Jonah was more backslidden than the newly saved people in Nineveh? They were excited about what God was doing, and he was displeased and angry at God. Now, folks, <laughs> I love watching people get saved. I love being a part of people getting saved. I'll, I'll, I'll preach at the drop of the hat and give you my hat and throw it on the ground to preach. I love it. There's nothing that excites me any more than seeing people get saved. But can I tell you what? The day I get mad at God because somebody got saved, we got problems. The Bible gives spiritual life to the lost, but it also gives spiritual life to the saved. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And we have people all over this country, all over this area, they're more concerned about feeding their blessed belly than they are being revived spiritually. The preacher's more worried about what car he's going to get next, how much bigger of a house he can get, how many more benefits he can get? What his 401k is? Well, bless God, I don't have a 401k. My, my retirement is out of this world. I don't plan on retiring. I plan on retreading. I plan on giving it all I got to the last moment. I was listening to a song in my truck the other day. I want to die on the battlefield. Man, I want to die on the battlefield, Brother Anthony. I want to... Blow a gasket on a Sunday night, go home, lay down, and wake up in glory. Amen? Now, I don't want to go on the pulpit, all right? I want to see people to see me die. When I'm dying, don't come see me. Just, just know it, it'll be all right. I know where I'm going. I'll be there. I'll meet you on the other side. Amen? Uh, <laughs> and don't put pink socks on me in the pulpit, in the casket. Amen? 
uh, or a pink shirt or a pink tie. My only request. But you know what? You could and it wouldn't matter. Because I'm not going to be there. I'm already in heaven playing tag with the angels. You see, if the Bible is good enough to get you eternal life, don't you think it's good enough to get you through this life? If you're willing to accept the Bible about your eternity, how come we don't accept it about how we're supposed to live here? Why head towards death by not living the Word of God? We have Christians who are headed towards death in their life instead of headed toward eternal life. Folks, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm having a whole lot more fun than anybody did in the bar last night. Amen. I'm having a whole lot more fun than anybody in any strip joint last night. Amen. I'm having a whole lot more fun than they had any ball game last night. Amen. They didn't get up yesterday morning at 4.30 in the morning saying, Bless God, I get to go to the bar tonight. But at 4 o'clock this morning, I was awake and I prayed for over 50 preachers and said, Oh God, I can't wait to... And, and by 4.30, before 4.30, was out of bed, in the shower, and out of the shower, ready to come to church. I was here before 5. And I'm having the time of my life. Amen. You say, how is that, preacher? Because it's fun seeing what God can do. Amen. This is living. Amen. Boy, that's good stuff. That's why John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was the God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus said, my Word is life. Philippians 2.16 talks about Him giving us the words of life. And I'm here to shout to tell you there is no life apart from the Word of God. You want to have true life? You want to have life that is fulfilling? Then you must do it by the Word of God, not by the Word of man. The Sodomites marching in wherever they're marching, probably Shepherdstown, uh, they say, well, it's life. Don't criticize my life. No, I'm criticizing your death. You're not living. You're dying. I don't hate them. But I do hate sin. Hang on. But I don't hate their sin any more than anybody else's. I can love sinners and hate sin. Was it not Billy Sunday that said you can't love flowers unless you hate weeds? And you can't love God unless you hate sin. If you're not living the Bible, this is kind of an oxymoron, you're living death. If you're not living the Bible, you're living death. Number three. You're going to stand before God for yourself. <clears throat> when you die, you stand before God. You're not going to be able to say, well, it's Brother Anthony's fault. <laughs> Brother Barnes's fault. 
I'll be able to say it was Mrs. Barnes's fault. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no. You'll give an account for yourself. Amen. You know, it's just going to be you, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Did you know it's not going to be your children? You're not going to be able to step up in front of your children before God say, well, God, it was my fault. No, 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 no. It's their fault. Well, that's my grandson, and, and God, you got... No, 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 no. He'll stand before God for himself. We need to quit trying to live everybody else's life and live ours. Please don't take this the wrong way. I love my three children. I love my... Actually, I have five. I have two uh, children-in-law, but they're still my kids. I love my kids. I love my grandson. But I'm not going to stand before God for them. I'm going to stand before God for me. I love my grandson. Just saw him last week. I looked into his face and thought, buddy, I don't even know what your future holds. But your papa is going to do everything he can to give you a country and a word of God that's still true. I'll give you my dying breath. And one day you may not choose it, but I'm going to live it whether you do or not. Just because you may choose not to doesn't mean I'm going to change. You see, you can't make up for what you didn't do in the past. When you die, it's too late. It's too late. You see, you can only live your life to be what God wants you to be now. Well, preacher, I just have so many regrets of the past. And if you knew what my past was, well, your past is past. Leave it in the past. Amen. Can I tell you something? I, I love this statement. I heard it decades ago. When the devil reminds you of past, your past reminds him of his future. <laughs> well, do you remember? Yeah, but do you know where you're? time I, I hear old smutty face I can't smell him anymore but I can hear him every time I hear him sitting on my shoulder I just get up and say get out of here you're not going to bother me you, <laughs> the best thing about heaven is devil ain't going to be there <laughs> you see <laughs> you're so worried about your past that you're not doing anything in your present and it's keeping you from doing something in the future Jonah was upset that he didn't get what he wanted. Did you know the Ninevites hated the Hebrews? They were violent. They were flaying people alive. They were taking live people and cutting their skin off while they're still alive and kept cutting more and more skin off till they died. They would put giant hooks through their fingernails and hang them by their fingernails till, it, till their body weight pulled them Pulled them out. Just for being a Hebrew. That's what Jonah had to go preach to. He hated the people. That was the problem. He hated Nineveh and didn't want them to get saved. He didn't want Nineveh spared. 
He was mad at them. And he was angry when God took his comfort away. God had a gourd because it was so hot. Raise up. And that gourd sprang up and gave him a little shade. He was still belly aching about revival. God had a worm eat the center of that plant out. And the gourd withered up. And the other gourd opened his big mouth. God, it's not fair. I had comfort. Now you took my comfort away. Would you quit complaining and bellyaching, Jonah? Look what God just did. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before thee unto Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest, and repentest thee of evil. He said, God, I knew that if I went, all this was going to happen, and I didn't want you doing it. Revival comes when we quit concerning our, quit concerning our lives with what we want and start sharing our lives and doing what God wants. May I say something as kindly and as compassionately and as forcefully as I know how? Life is not about you. I understand life. It's not a serial. It's not a game. I'm 56 years old. That means if I live my three score and ten, I have about 14, 15 years left. Everybody doing okay? Brother Anthony, it's not about me. It's about those three precious kids you brought through the door today. It's about my grandson. It's about your family and your children and grandchildren and their children. It's about a lost and dying world going to hell. It's not about me. I'll be going to preach a revival. I may have some people upset that I go preach it. What a terrible thing to be upset about. I already have an answer prepared. Well, you're the reason I'm going because obviously you need to get right with God. Everybody doing okay? You see, revival comes when we quit. Well, what do I get out of it? Well, I want, well, this didn't happen the way I want. Did you know nothing ever comes out the way I really want? That means this. We ought to witness to everybody we can witness to. We need to get the truth out to everybody. I said this in Sunday school. We have more people come to church because of tracks at a gas pump than any church I've ever seen in my life. We've had four families come to this church in the last two months because they found a gospel track from Grace Baptist Church on a gas pump. And I'm not talking about just one gas station. They're everywhere. I know, I go to the gas station and people are going, 
Yeah, that's me, but I didn't put it there. You saw me drive up. <laughs> I'm not going around and around and around and around putting a dollar in at a time. You see, did you know you can't give the gospel to the wrong person? Why are we so afraid to tell somebody about Jesus? Can I tell you something? Come to church, be here, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, start getting involved. Get involved in the choir if you can sing a little. If you sound like me, don't get involved in the choir. Amen. But get, get involved. You say, but, but preacher, no, get involved. I'm talking about come to Sunday school and get involved. Uh, some of you ladies, we need help in the nursery. Well, you're going to have to step up and get involved. Your husband needs care. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> we have a hospitality ministry. See my wife. She can help you understand a little bit about that. Uh, ushers, I need some men uh, willing to step up from time to time. If, if we've got a gap, step up and be an usher. But that means you're going to have to be here. We don't give you a job for you to show up to. You show up and then we give you a job. Everybody doing okay? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? <laughs> May I tell you something? Revival comes when you love without expecting anything in return. It really does. I long. I'll be honest with you. My wife knows this is true. <laughs> I never wanted to pastor. I fought with God till I was 13 years old about this preaching thing. I finally couldn't take it anymore and said, okay, God, if that's what you want, I'll do it. Man, I didn't know what I was getting into. About 11 years ago, God said, time for you to quit being an assistant pastor and start pastoring. And I was like Gideon. I said, uh-uh. Thou mighty man of valor. Me? No. Took about a couple months. be honest with you I could show you the streets I was walking up and down in New Jersey hours weeping out loud on the street knelt down in a park and I said God I've never fought you but I really don't understand how this is going to work but you're going to have to show me I was preaching in New Jersey. Sat down at the table. I had preached three or four times that morning. I was getting ready to grab a bite to eat and go back and preach again. Pastor pulled an envelope out and we began to talk. And he said, Brother Bush, and he opened up the envelope. He said, I have here a letter from my board. Already approved your salary. He said, I was getting ready to hire you to be my first assistant pastor. He said, but he took the letter and just tore it up. He said, God wants you to go start a church. I said, no, he doesn't. He said, yes, he does. 
I'm not kidding. Fifteen minutes later, my wife called me. She said, honey, I was at church this morning. Pastor didn't preach anything about this. But I knew in my heart that I needed to do this. She said, I went to the altar, and she said, if God wants you to pastor church, let's do it. I said, you said what? I told her what just happened. She said, okay, so when we start in the church, I said, Sunday, I'll call you after I'm done preaching. I couldn't hardly get through the sermon. I was weeping. Seven days later, Grace Baptist Church started. Can I tell you something? Doing God's will is great. Was I scared? I'm still scared. But it's not about me. It's all about him. But if you'll get right with God, you'd be surprised what could happen. Look what it would do to your family. Look what it would do to your church. Look what it would do to our community. Look what it could do to our world if just you would get right with God. Get revived spiritually. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm done. Revival is not in a preacher. Revival is in you.